Good morning again. Man, what a great time of worship this morning. I'm going to get you to grab your Bibles, if you would, and go to Genesis uh, 1. Genesis 1, just hold. We're going to be a little bit before we get there. Genesis 1, and if you want to kind of be an overachiever, you can grab Revelation 21 and kind of hold those for just a few moments. We're starting a new series today called Led by uh, Presence. And one of the things you're going to get, and you may have gotten it on the way in, and if you didn't, make sure you get it on the way out, we have a Bible reading plan for you as we journey together. One of the things we're gonna work on this year is becoming more of a people of the word, people who read the Bible and, and pray and seek the face of the Lord every day. And so if you have a regular devotion time, this will be a great uh, supplement for you. If you have, don't really have a rhythm in your life and you're wondering, well, how do I do this? This resource will help you. It'll give you a chapter a day and a little plan a way that you can really engage where your Bible time becomes meaningful. And so uh, make sure if you didn't get one of these that you uh, get it on the way out. And I think this will be a helpful uh, resource uh, for you. Now, how many of you would confess that you, like me, uh, are dependent upon those map apps when you travel to an uncharted area? Anybody here? Um, man, I, we are so dependent upon those things. Like you, you type in your address. And it's not like we've not had it for a long time, um, but it's, we've become very dependent upon it. You type in you know, the address that you're wanting to go to and all of a sudden from my phone, a British dude kind of navigates me around to where I'm going. It just feels amazing. Um, he feels, a, he's a lot smarter than me apparently. Um, and so he's navigating me around. And, and, and what's crazy is, is that like even in my, my, uh, my phone, when I, like yesterday I was out of town, I was coming home and didn't know the route where I was to get to the house. And uh, I, I just opened my phone and typed the word home in and I'd never put my address in, but apparently because it locks in that location frequently, it's going to went ahead and, and labeled that. It kind of freaked me out, I'll be honest with you. And, um, but what's crazy is, is we're so dependent upon it. Like we're traveling to, to, a, to an area and we're listening for the voice. And as the voice says, turn right, we turn right and turn left, turn left. And it rarely ever fails us. Um, a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I were traveling and we were going through uh, a big city and there's a lot of construction and it was giving us alternate routes as some lanes, like maybe there was an accident, it was rerouting us. And she just looked at me and she's like, how in the world did we do this 10 years ago? Y'all remember back in the day when you had to get your map out? You know, and, and if you didn't have one, you had to go to the gas station and get in there. And if you were like me, I, I would always map out our route before we'd go and make a list. And some of y'all have no clue what I'm talking about. But like back in the day, like you, how many accidents were caused by trying to read the map, drive with your knees, but now we have the luxury of just being led. You put the location in and then you listen for the voice and as the voice tells you, you do what the voice says and you get to the destination. In fact, we are so dependent upon this and I'll be honest with you, I go to Dallas and different cities all of the time and I still don't know how to get around because I'm so dependent. If I don't have my app, I am lost. And here's what we're gonna do over the next few weeks as we walk through this series called Led by Presence. I want us to understand that as the people of God, individually people of God, and then collectively as the people of God, the church, I want us to see that we are a people who have been created to be led by presence. That the presence of the Holy Spirit, that God's plan for all of us is for us to be filled with his spirit 
And as, as people filled with his spirit and as the church filled with his spirit, that we would be led by his spirit, that we would be led by the presence of God in our life. In fact, here's what I'm hoping we understand by the time this is over. It's not just the importance of it, but how to walk this life. Because here's the reality we have to understand. Just as those map apps are vital for us getting to the destination, without it, we're lost. I would say this about the Spirit of God filling his people and filling his church, that without the Holy Spirit, spiritually, we die. We're not just lost, we die spiritually. And so we must become a people. It is vital for us. And here's what I believe. Here's my conviction. I really believe that the Christian life for most believers are lived in fear and failure, pursuing our own agenda. And the truth is the Christian life following Jesus was never meant to be a life that's defined by failure, defined by fear, or defined by our own agenda. But I truly believe that when we begin to understand what it means to be led by presence, we will become a people not of fear, but of courage. Not of failure, but of victory. Not people who are on our mission, but a people who live with a red hot fire for his mission. And this is only possible, listen to me, this life is only possible through the filling of the Holy Spirit, living in his presence every moment. And this is what we're gonna jump into um, in this series. So I've gotta confess, and as I open this, this series up, I wanna make sure that I, I, I I make it clear, I'm gonna be preaching to you a life that I am just now beginning to understand how to live. So I'm, when as we walk through this, the, the Bible's gonna to have to be the expert because I'm not. And I don't want you to be like, like I don't know if I wanna to listen to him now. I want you to know that I'm a man on a journey with you. That for most of my Christian life, there's this understanding of, of, of understanding I need, there's something in the Christian life that God has for us to live in a power that I've never walked in, a, 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 a presence that I've never really experienced. Now, occasionally seeing, what, but there's just this thing in my heart over the past several years of just this recognition that there has to be more to the Christian life than what I've experienced. Because when I read the Bible, I see it. And then if I'm honest, I look at my life and I'm going, my life doesn't look like that. And so this journey has led me to a place where we are now as a church where we're just praying and seeking the Lord because I have come to the conclusion in my own spiritual walk, I don't wanna do this the way I've always done it. I don't wanna do this thing the rest of my life experiencing what I've already experienced. I want everything that there is in Christ that he has for me, I want it. And, and so I'm honest with you, I've not tasted it all. So we're gonna take this journey together. There's a, th a lot of things that the Lord is teaching me as prepared for this that we're gonna be experiencing together as we navigate through this. And so I just want you to know, I, I'm going for a ride and I'm asking you to go with me, amen? amen. And so where we're gonna start today is in Genesis, Genesis chapter one, and here's why. We're gonna go back to the beginning. We're gonna go back to the beginning. And, and he, here's, here's what I want us to see this morning as we jump into this, is that I want us to see the major storyline of the Bible. If, if God is telling the story from Genesis to Revelation, what is the story? And what is the major thread that runs through the story? Have you ever been to a movie where you showed up late, but you showed up so late to the movie, or maybe you turned on a movie, everybody says it's awesome, but you got right into the middle of it, and uh, you, you, you didn't know what was going on. You missed the character development, you missed the plot, and you were a little bit like lost in the movie or the story. How many of you ever had that? It's frustrating, right? 
Man, you jump in, and, and if you miss the plot, you're jumping into the crisis of the story, and you're going, well, who's he? Who's she? What's going on? Why is she crying? What's the issues? And you're just lost because you've missed the most important part, which is the introduction to what is the story, what is the purpose, what is the plot of the movie. Unless it's a rom-com, then if it's a rom-com, you can literally jump in anywhere and know what's going on. If it's a rom-com with Matthew McConaughey, it's just the same movie named different things, right? <laughs> boy meets girl, girl meets boy, they fall in love, they're like, life is great, life is good, he does something stupid, she does something stupid, they go through this terrible breakup, they move on with their life, and then she's in an office complex and realize he is what I really want, and they tag back up in a hotel, and they live happy, a hotel, but, but uh, in, in an airport, and they live happily ever after. Now, McConaughey movies is a hotel, let's just be honest. Y'all seen the movie. <laughs> and, and you jump in and you're like, I know this story, I've seen this movie. Not so much with the Lord. You see, he's telling a story that is the greatest adventure ever. It's the greatest story ever. It's a story about a God who made a people to know him, be a relationship with him, and there was a crisis that broke the relationship, and in the very end of the story, as we're gonna see this morning, everything that was lost is found. And they do live happily ever after. But we gotta understand the plot if we're gonna understand the story. So when you read the Bible, here's what I want you to see. When you read the Bible, there are four major parts to the story of the Bible. If, you, if you're new to Christianity, this will be really helpful to you in understanding how to read the Bible. You have creation, that's the first part of the story. Then you have the fall, that's the, the second part of the story that happens right behind. So you've got this introduction to life, and then you have right after this introduction, there's this great dilemma, this great um, tragedy that happens within the story of what God is writing that changes everything. And then from everything forward is moving toward this redemption that ultimately leads to this restoration where you see everything come to be once again as it was meant to be. And they live happily ever after. And that's the major flow of the story that God is writing. And so when you jump into the Bible, Genesis chapter one, I wanna kind of give you, before I jump in and show you this, I wanna give you what you'll find. In the narrative of the creation account, here's what you find. God stepping into the chaos of the earth and he creates this beautiful place called Eden. Eden is the most beautiful place. It's a place of peace and shalom and, and there's all kinds of fruit. Every need that mankind would ever have is there. there there's rivers that flow through and it's, it's amazing. But listen to me, oftentimes we only see Eden as the dwelling place of Adam and Eve in this beautiful place of perfection. Like, man, I would love to live there. But when you look at the narrative, when you understand the theme of the story, here's what you discover, is that Eden is not just about the green grass and the fruit trees and all of the streams and the river and the peace and shalom and the home of Adam and Eve. Uh, Eden was created, as you see the narrative, the, the language that's used is describing something significant about Eden that I think most of us miss. And because we miss this, we miss our purpose. That Eden, in the midst of all its beauty, what made it so significant is that Eden was the temple of God on earth. It is where God dwelled on earth. Many scholars call it the garden temple or the garden sanctuary. In fact, you don't have to turn there, but in Genesis chapter 13, there is this reference 
to the Garden of Eden. And listen to what it is, how it's described. In, in Genesis 13, 10, it says, And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like, listen to the description. This is a reference to the Garden of Eden. Like the Garden of the Lord. Isaiah in chapter 51 mentions this. Ezekiel in 28, he mentions this, that this Eden is called the Garden of the Lord. He's building a case that the Garden of Eden was the earthly dwelling place of God. God was going to dwell with man on earth in this place of Eden. And that's what made Eden so special and so significant. It wasn't just for man, it was for God. His presence on earth with his people. Let me build the case for you. Let me do this by getting you now to go to Genesis 1. If you're there, say, I'm there. And here's what I wanna do. I wanna journey through the creation narrative all the way into chapter three. And I want you to see the language that's used here to describe the personal presence of God, the personal interaction, hands-on presence of God with the creation narrative. Look what he says in chapter one, verse two. It says, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. Now listen to this. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So even before Eden, God was there. The presence of the Holy Spirit. Now fast forward to chapter two, verse seven. It says, then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Now notice this, he formed the man out of the dust. The word formed there, some of your translations might have the word fashioned. The idea is this, is that when God creates all the rest of the parts of creation, he just uses his voice. But with man, he doesn't use his voice, he uses his hands. Why? Because he's intimately involved. He is forming man. He is on the earth forming man from the dust of the ground. And then it says he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The word breath or to breathe, uh, throughout the, the Bible there is this imagery of God's life-giving power. And so what you find, it's when he says he breathed into the nostrils of Adam the breath of life, literally it's the, it's the spirit presence of God giving life to Adam. This was not just physical life that Adam received, it was spiritual life that he received. So what you find is the very presence of God on planet earth breathing the presence of God into the life of Adam. That Adam was not just made, listen, to enjoy Eden. He was made to enjoy the God of Eden whom he had relationship with because the spirit brought life into Adam's body. So you see the interaction there, actively breathing life into him. Look what he says in verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. So he took the man, so he forms him, he breathes life into him, and then with his hands, he, he placed him, put him in the Garden of Eden. This is, the idea is a strategic lo location that God was involved with making sure that Adam dwelled in his temple, in his presence. Look what he goes on to say in verse 16. In verse 16, he says, and the Lord God commanded the man saying, you say, why is that so significant? So not only do you see that God's hands are involved, but God's voice is also involved. In other words, he's speaking with Adam. Do you see it? There's communing going on. God is verbally engaging. He's there present with him, speaking to him. What you find here is relationship. God, the creator, talking with man, the creator, 
in the palace of God, in the temple of God, where God's presence was dwelling. There was communing happening in this location. And you see this even more clearly if you'll flip over to chapter three at the fall account. There's a description of how all of that went down. Look what happens in verse number eight. It says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. Now, don't miss this. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. They're using, the, the, the writer is using uh, human terms to describe God's activity. He's present and he's taken a stroll in the courtyard of his temple. This is the imagery that we get here. And what I love about this, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. Now, here's the question you need to be asking. How did they know that that sound was the sound of the Lord walking in the garden? It's because they heard that sound before. You see, this gives us the imagery of Adam and Eve walking in fellowship, walking in relationship. They didn't, they didn't, when they heard the sound of the rustling in the garden, they didn't think, hey, there's an elephant or there's a giraffe. They're going, no, 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 no. We recognize those footsteps. We recognize that sound because we have seen that sound before. It was the Lord and his presence in the cool of the day and the man and his wife, listen to this, hid themselves from the what? From the what? From the, say it like you're awake. Presence. From the presence of the Lord God. So here's what you find with Eden. Eden was the dwelling place of God on earth. And man was created to enjoy the presence of the creator. He was created to enjoy fellowship with God, to walk in the fullness of his presence. You, you even see in the description of Eden when it talks about the trees bearing its fruit and, and everything Adam would ever need is there. And it, it goes into great detail of describing the four rivers that flow through it. And just so you know, biblical imagery, whenever you, you see this idea of, of specific locations that had rivers or waters, that, that was considered the source of life for whoever lived there. Later on in the Old Testament, this imagery becomes more clear when it talks about the temple of God, when he, he, he says, I'm gonna have a temple on earth and out of my throne will flow rivers of, of, of springs of life that'll flow from me. So even in the description, here's the idea that, that this place called Eden in God's presence, that from God flowed the life of humanity from the very throne of God that life was to be found in his presence. I love what one scholar said about this. Listen to this. He says, the Garden of Eden is not viewed by the author, uh, as, uh, by the author as of, of Genesis simply as a piece of Mesopotamian farmland, but as a sanctuary that is a place where God dwells and where man should worship him. Everything in Eden is pointing us to this first truth. Listen to this. this. This is the truth. You, you gotta understand, this is the theme of the story. At creation, we discovered that we were created for his presence. This is what we were created for. We were created for his presence. This is the purpose that we have for being made. To know God and enjoy God and to walk with God and not just from a distance, but find life in his very presence, his spirit in us, his presence with us, with him leading us, guiding us as his people. And you see it throughout the story. Let me just give you some highlights of the story. He says that we were created in the image of God, the Imago Dei. 
What does that mean? It means that we were created uniquely from all other parts of creation to have a personal relationship with God that was different from the rest of creation. That we were to be his people. So picture it like this. The Garden of Eden is God's kingdom. And the subjects of his kingdom are those made in his image. We are, we are created to know him, to worship him, to enjoy life with him, and to be led by him. This is why he gives commands. Don't eat of the tree. Why? Because God is establishing us as a people who live in his presence being led by him. This is why he tells them in the cultural mandate, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. I want more image bearers. I want more people made in my image multiplying so that my, my people grow and expand so that there's more fellowship and more intimacy when he tells them to work the garden, to keep the garden, that was before the fall. Do you realize that? Work was before the fall. What was the assignment of Adam and Eve? Don't miss this. The Eden was the sanctuary of God. And when he tells them to cultivate and to work the ground, he's, he's saying, in essence, I want you to go make the rest of the earth like Eden. Why? So that the temple of God would all, be all-encompassing all over planet earth. And so that his temple would cover the earth filled with people made in his image. This is the great storyline. This is what God is doing. This is where we find purpose and meaning and significance in life. It is in the presence of God. We were created to know him in this way. Now let's fast forward through the story. I'm gonna do something that's a little bit different. Some of you are thinking he's gonna get to here and then to here and to here, but I wanna make sure that you understand the bookends of the story. You see, here's what happens. In Genesis one and two, here's how we know it's the great theme. We're, inter we're introduced to creation by understanding God's presence with his people, his spirit in his people. And here's what you find. First two chapters of the Bible, this is how it starts. And I want you to go to Revelation 21 and 22. And here's what we're gonna discover. The story begins with God's presence and God's people, the story ends with God's presence and God's people, which is gonna be an indicator to us that the entire story is about God's presence and God's people. Revelation 21, you can hold your spot in Genesis. We're gonna go back in a little bit. But Genesis 21, listen to this. I want you to see how the story goes down. Look what he says in verse number one. He says, when I, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now, why is this important? Genesis 1, what do we find? God creating the heavens and the earth. What do you find in the chapter 21 at the very end of the story? There is a new heaven and a new earth. There is a recreation of heaven. There's a recreation of earth. You're seeing that the story ends like the story begins. Look what he goes on to say. He says, for the first heaven, the first earth passed away and the sea was no more. Verse number two. And then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. So let me just help you for a moment. You say, what is heaven like? When, when, I, when I go to heaven, what is it like? Well, first of all, let me help you understand. You're not gonna go to heaven. Heaven's coming to you. You see, when all is said and done, the new Jerusalem, the city of God, the dwelling place, the throne of God is going to descend. And when the new heaven and new earth is established, God will set up his temple right here on earth. So when you see new heaven and new earth and the new Jerusalem, here's what I want you to think. There is a new Eden coming. God's dwelling place on earth with his people. Look what he goes on to say. He says, and then I heard 
a loud voice from the throne saying, and this is beautiful, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with him and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Do you see it? There's echoes from Eden here. When God creates us, he is our God. We are his people. We live in his presence, find life from him and enjoy him forever. And when it all goes down, this is what we experience forevermore. This gets even better. Look what he says here. He will wipe every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. There shall be no mourning, no crying, no pain anymore for the former things have passed away. In other words, God is going to reverse the curse. And everything that has made this world broken because we don't live in Eden anymore, everything will be restored. And when he says everything, everything. And here's what he says. I love this, verse five. And he who was sitting on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. How many things new does he make? All things new. Are you seeing the picture here? It's gonna become even more clear in chapter 22. Look at verse number one of chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Now again, in the Genesis account, it goes through great detail describing the rivers flowing from, or flowing through the garden. And again, this is the imagery that the river's back. Life is now found in God, God again, bright and crystal flowing from the throne of God. Why? Because he is the source of life and from the lamb. And then it goes on to say this, listen to this. And through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life. Remember Genesis 1 and 2, there's a tree of life. Now the tree of life is there again, yielding 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now don't overlook this, the healing of the nations. What is that about? When he told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. What is he saying? I want not just a few people, I want peoples to be my people. I want the earth to be filled with my image, subjects of mine who live in my presence, find life in me, and who are led by me. And when all goes down, the nations once and for all will be gathered to him once again. Look what happens in verse three. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. Why? They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will, what? Reign with him forever. This is how the story ends. And I want you to see the connection here. We are created for his presence. That's how the story begins. And let's see the line all the way to the very end. We are restored into his presence once again. Now, eyes right here just for a second. This is significant. What this tells us this morning is this simple truth. You exist to enjoy the presence of God. You exist to find life in him. We as the people of God, as the body of Christ, the church redeemed, we are now the people of God once again that he is gathering to himself. And the primary purpose, what makes us different from all the other peoples, we'll see this next week even more clearly, is that we are now the people of God who have been filled with the presence of God, who now can once again, because of Christ, enjoy his presence and be led by his supernatural power in our life. 
You see, I want us to understand as we journey through this, the presence of God among his people is not secondary in your life. It is primary because it's the very reason you were created. And listen, it's the very reason Jesus came to redeem us. Everything is about this. Are you with me? This is so significant for us. Uh, there are times where I've watched movies, and uh, I did this a couple of weeks ago, and, and, and those movies that frustrate me are the movies where the beginning of the story and the end of the story, they don't match up. Like I was watching a movie a couple of nights ago, and, um, and it, was, it started out great. There's like four pretty well-known actors in it. They're former military guys. So I'm kind of just all into watching those kind of movies. And they're out of the military looking for some meaning in life. So they find this mission. They're gonna go on this mission and everything seems to be going great. And as the story unfolds, like weird things just started to happen that don't, doesn't really match with the plot line that you thought in the beginning. Like the main character dies with no rhyme or reason, no real explanation, the story ends without them doing anything that the movie began with. And when the movie was over, I looked at my wife and I'm like, that was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And the reason was, is because the beginning and the end didn't match. Here's what I want you to know. In God's story, there's one major thread. And that is the presence of God giving life to the people of God. And I think the reason so many of us live our lives confused, trying to figure out even in the Christian life, like what does God want me to do? It's because we're, we, we get lost in the story because we've forgotten, about the, we've forgotten about the beginning and the end. And what I want to do this morning as I wrap this up with two truths, and we're gonna see the middle of the stories, I want this to set the framework of what we're gonna see the rest of the series is that I want us to remember the middle of the story finds its meaning in the beginning and the end of the story. Does that make sense? You see, so then what, if that's the beginning and that's the end, then what went wrong? And the answer is the fall. You see, at the fall, sin entered the world and sin separated us from the presence of God. Sin separated us from his presence. You see, the moment Adam and Eve took of the fruit of the tree that they were not to eat of, the moment that happened, spiritually speaking, Adam and Eve died. The spirit of life that was breathed into Adam and Eve, this, this relationship with God they had because his spirit was in them, the spirit was removed in an instant and they were spiritually dead. And now there is a chasm between man and their creator. So the very presence of God that we were created for, now we've been separated from it. And you see this in the, in the, in the narrative right after the fall. Look with me, if you would, in Genesis chapter three, verse eight. It says this, it says, when they, they heard uh, the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, listen to this, and the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord. The very presence that they were made to enjoy, the very presence, we don't know how long they had been made before the fall happened. All we know is up until this moment, they never ran from the presence of God, they ran to the presence of God. They enjoyed fellowship. There was, a, there was a friendship and a fellowship and they lived with joy in his presence and now all of a sudden they're hiding from his presence. So immediately you see something spiritually has gone wrong. They hid among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Now, just so you'll know, God was not confused about where they were. They're hiding. God knows exactly where they are. This question was more about, Adam, do you know where you are? 
What's happening here? God is trying to show him something is broken and you need to know it. Look what he says. Adam responds. He says, I heard the sound of, of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So immediately, what do you see? You see separation. You see separation. You see, what happened in this moment is that fear replaced fellowship, rebellion replaced submission, hiding from God replaced delighting in him, being, uh, being dead to him replaced finding life in him. And now this it's broken, fractured relationship, and then it gets even worse. The, the, the heavy consequence of all that just happened finds itself in verse 23. Listen to this. Therefore, the Lord God, man, this is sad, sent him out of the Garden of Eden. Now, most of us, when we read that, if we read it like we would typically read it, we would go, he was sent out of the place of beauty. That's not the point. What is the Garden of Eden? It's the sanctuary of God. It's the temple of the Lord. It's where the manifest presence of God dwelled on earth. So what's happening in this moment is that now Adam and Eve can no longer live in the presence of God because God is holy. They are sinful. God cannot have fellowship with that which is sinful. Therefore, when it says he kicked them out of Eden, the idea is they are no longer fit to live life in his presence and they are banished from this place. Listen, so they are removed from the very purpose of their creation. And the story goes on to say that God placed an angel in front of the Garden of Eden to guard it so that Adam and Eve couldn't come back in. What this tells us, this, this sword-wielding angel tells us that they have moved from being friends of God to enemies of God, and they have been cut off from their source of life, which was the presence of God. And this explains why there is so much brokenness in our world today. This is why there is so much emptiness and so, so, so many things that we face. We, 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 I get asked this question all the time. You know, why are there so many religions in the world? You ever wrestled with that? And some people will use this as an argument. They're going, oh, there's all these religions and man, man just is making this stuff up and it just kind of disqualifies all religions. And I would just submit to you the fact that there are thousands upon thousands of religions is the greatest case that we were made for something more than this world. Why? Because we were created for God's presence, sin separated us from his presence, and ever since then, there has been this great longing in the heart of humanity to go back to Eden. There's this great emptiness in our hearts that we would get back to Eden, so what do we do when we can't get back to Eden? We try to create our own Edens. And we create Edens in regards to religion and Edens in regards to relationship and Edens in regards to sex and success and, and approval of other people and acceptance and what I get. We have exhausted our life as humanity trying to recreate Eden only to come up empty time after time after time. Why? Because there's nothing in this life that can satisfy what we were created for because that's his presence and his presence alone. This helps us understand the great longing. But see, I love that the story is, is, is a moving story. And here's what you gotta know about the Bible. From Genesis 3 all the way to Revelation 21. See, what is this Bible about? It is about God redeeming man back to himself for the end goal purpose of allowing us to enjoy him forever. 
I'm gonna show you what I mean by this. Go to Romans chapter five. There's so much I wanna say today that I got seven weeks to say, and so I'm, I'm gonna be disciplined right now. Romans chapter five, turn there, and as you turn there, let me just kind of set this up. God, in his great love and mercy for us, wanted to reconcile us, us to him, and so you see through the Old Testament this story moving toward the cross of Jesus, where Jesus, who is called Emmanuel, why Emmanuel? God with us. God dwelling on earth with us. So here's what God said. God says, you can't recreate Eden, but I can recreate Eden. And so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna put on skin and live among you. If the, if the issue of your heart is sin, if that's the barrier then, and you can't overcome it, then I'll overcome it for you. So Jesus comes and lives the perfection that Adam didn't live, nor any other human that ever walked the planet live. He lives the perfection so that he could go to a cross and die. And on the cross, Jesus stands in our place and he receives the full weight of God's wrath so that God can execute justice, so that sin can be dealt with, not in you, but in, in Jesus, so that we might be forgiven. And in his resurrection, Jesus now says, the life that died in the garden can now be given to you again. And here's what Romans chapter five says. Check this out, Romans five, verse one. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice what he says here. He says, we're having been justified by faith. Justified, listen, is the act of being declared as righteous or as innocent before God. So that's what justified means. Another way of understanding justified, it's just if I'd never sinned to begin with. That's the idea. That through the death of Jesus, his righteousness is given to me, my sin is given to him, and the consequence of that is that now I'm justified by faith in Christ. Not by my good works, not because I'm righteous, but because Christ stood in my place and now he has given me his perfection so that my sin can be dealt with. Now look at the result of this. Because of that, we have peace with God. We have access into his presence, peace with God. The enmity, the, the, the fact that we are enemies of God has been dealt with. And now, listen to this, we can be reconciled into his presence because the sin barrier that made us the enemies of God in Christ has been dealt with in Jesus. Now, we can be God's friend once again in the life in his presence. And I'll show you what I mean by this. Look what he says next. He says this, he says, through him we have also obtained, everybody say this word, access. We have, we, have, we have obtained access by faith into this grace. Grace of what? Grace of being reconciled to him. Grace of now living life in his presence in which we, what? We stand now because of Christ, we stand with God in his presence once again and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. The glory of God that Adam and Eve enjoyed in the garden, that sin removed from us now in Christ because we've been justified, because there's been peace made, we now have access to enjoy his glory again. Is anybody thankful for that today? Yes. And this is what Christ has done for us. We have access into his presence. And I love this, verse number 5b. Now look, look at this. How does this happen? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Believer, look at me this morning. You were created for his presence. And you, you will 
ultimately, if you're in Christ, you'll be restored to his presence once again. But despite the fact that the fall has separated us, if you are in Christ, you don't have to wait for heaven to experience his presence because in Christ, listen, your redemption was not about you escaping hell. Your redemption was about you experiencing once again the presence of God in your life. You see, most of us, we see our salvation as a get out of hell free card when really what God wanted, wanted for us were it to be a delight in God experience now. Your salvation was not as much of an exit from hell as it was an entrance back into presence. And so now as we live as the people of God, and I wanna emphasize this, the people of God, God's intentions was not to just have persons that were his people, but a people that belonged to him. A body of people who would belong to him, redeemed by Christ, filled with his spirit, so that we could be a people who enjoy his presence, who delight in him. And now we don't have to wait until he returns to get a little taste of Eden. That's why he has given us the church. This is why corporate gathering is so important for the people of God. Why? Because we are a people recreated in Christ to enjoy God's presence, not just in isolation, but together. This is why prayer meeting for new beginnings is so significant to the health of our church. Why? Because we have been redeemed for that purpose, to call on his name, to walk with him, not just individually, but as the people of God, walking in the fullness of our salvation, enjoying him together as his people, finding life in him and him alone. And for those of you who are like, man, I don't like Sunday gatherings. I'm not a big fan of prayer meeting. You're gonna hate heaven. <laughs> because heaven is gonna be the people of God, not just you individually. Gather around the throne of God, enjoying the presence of God. And by the way, you're not gonna have a stinking harp and wings floating around somewhere. You're gonna have a job and you're gonna have an assignment and, and the life to do all the things forever you will ever need to do what God has created you for, you will find from the enjoyment that you have of his presence. That's the Christian life. Can I help you? Do you know what the Christian life is? This is so important that we get. Sanctification or the Christian life, learning how to follow Jesus, now that we have been restored and peace has been made and the Holy Spirit is in us and now we are his people who can enjoy his presence once again, the Christian life is nothing more than us learning how to live in his presence once again. That's what it is. It's the journey of learning what it means to be led by his presence, what it means to find him and enjoy him and to pursue him once again. Listen, we are in preparation for heaven. We are in preparation for what is to come. And so now we can enjoy him and learn what it looks like through the work of the Holy Spirit to live a life of being filled with and led by his presence once again. That's the Christian life. And that's the place of joy. And so here's the one question for you this morning. And it's a question for everybody in this room. I want you to lock eyes with me just for a moment. I want you to answer this question. Are you living in the story? Are you living in the story? And here's what I mean by that. For some of you in the room, you're not 
necessarily living in the fullness of the stories because you're still living in the condition of the fall. You've never been reconciled to God because of your sin and you wonder why is it that you can't find wholeness and satisfaction and meaning in life and there's this sense of and longing in your heart and some of you have stuffed it full of so many things. This is why some of you, you come to church and you just feel numb and indifferent. It's because you've never found life in him. You've never tasted of the reconciliation of Jesus. Therefore, you're dead in your sin. You're still in the same spiritual condition that Adam and Eve found themselves in right here at the fall. And here's the great news for you today is that the the breath of God can breathe life spiritually into you today, just like he did for Adam and Eve. The reason the resurrection is so significant is because Jesus defeated death so that now he can give you life. And you're wondering what is missing in your life and what's missing in your life is not you getting better, doing better, trying to do more religious things or having more approval and getting more followers and all these things that we do with our life to try to find wholeness. What you need is life and presence. And that only comes by submitting to Jesus as your Lord and King. If you never trusted in him, today is the day for you. Others of you in the room, the same question is for you. Are you living in the story? There are some of you, you know you're a Christian. You know that you have been sealed with the spirit as Nathan said last week. But you are not living with the filling of the spirit in your life. There are some of you that you're, you're a follower of Jesus and you know that you're a Christian, but if we were truly to just peel back all of the side that you bring in on Sunday morning, you're spiritually dry and you're empty and you're joyless and there's no real sense of finding happiness and delight in the things of God. For some of you, it could be because a sin has built up in your life and you can't be filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with a bunch of stuff that grieves him and quenches him. Some of you, there's wounds of bitterness and hurts that you've had in your past, things that has caused you to become callous and you're not dealing with them and so you come to church week in and week out and and you, you dance around those things that God is trying to pry out of your life and the reason he wants to pry them out of your life is so that you can get more of him. And because of that, you're not living in the plot You're not living in the storyline of being reconciled to his presence. You got an invitation to the party, but you're just holding the invitation. It's like Jesus says, I I sang a song for you and you would not come. I threw a party and I invited you and you just kind of stood on the outside looking in. For some of you, you're believers today, you need to do business with God so that you can begin to walk in the purpose that you've been created. Some of that starts with confession of sin, humbling yourself before the Lord. So in a moment, we're gonna have a time of invitation. And just like last week, we talked about posture matters. I'm gonna encourage you to leave your seats, to come to this altar and pray. If you need to be saved, I want you to know there are gonna be some men and women here that would love to introduce you to Jesus. You just come to them and say, I need life and they'll help you. Others of you, you might want prayer for encouragement, but some of you just need to get before the Lord and begin to confess things in your life and ask God to help you as a believer live in the storyline of why he's saved you and why he has made you. You were made for this. You were saved for this. Let's jump into the story, amen? Amen. Father, I'm asking now in the name of Jesus that you would do what only you can do in this place. God, I pray that you would move in hearts, invade this space. God, let your presence 
fall on us. God, we are asking for a fresh work of the Holy Spirit. Would you save those who need to be saved? Lord, would you cause those who know you to hunger more for you? God, I pray that today without being ashamed that we would be serious about you enough to, to, to lay before you and to ask you to do a work that only you can do. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.